No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They had found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello, everyone. I'm Timothy Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. Today is Tuesday, and I'm back with another story. This episode is unique and sort of a first for for the One Too Many Podcast. This is the first time that I've brought a a, a guest back to to share new developments on a story. Back in episode 15, Margie Agar shared the story of her daughter's uh, death of suicide and and how she had to deal with bullying throughout her time in the military. Margie is back almost just under a year later to tell us about other developments uh, in in the story and what she's learned from some of Kim's peers and some of her colleagues while she was in. And she wants to get this new information out and we get to learn about what this new information and these new developments has done for Margie's uh, peace of mind, for her inspiration to be an advocate and an activist for uh, for veterans and, and, and other areas of her life. So um, if you haven't yet, if you haven't heard Margie's first episode, go to one too many project.com slash 15. Uh, it does provide some context. I still believe you can listen to this episode uh, and then go back and listen to that one. I don't think the order is really too important, but uh, for a few things that she references, if you would like context, one too many project.com slash 1515 uh, will get you Margie's first episode. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I'll follow up with some reflections after the interview. Wonderful. Okay, so Margie, what the purpose, the, the reason why I wanted to bring you back on to One Too Many is when we first talked, I mean, almost a year ago, I mean, it's it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time we, we talked, you still had some holes to fill and some uh, some confusion inside of what happened to your daughter yeah. uh if anybody who hasn't heard this uh this, there's gonna be a link in the show notes to uh to your first interview so they get caught up but yeah. what i want to do now is i want to hear new information that you've been able to acquire that's helped helped you better understand what happened uh to your daughter and then we can follow up a little bit more with just you know how that's how that's affected your life and how it's been help, helping you influence other people that are maybe dealing with the same issues so uh okay. let's just start with you know what 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 have you learned over the past uh year about your daughter's suicide well first off um the main thing is two of her comrades that were in with in the chorus with her actually approached me when they got out of the army, you know, because they didn't have that fear of reprisal anymore. And, um, one of them was a good, was a close friend of hers. 
um, and was uh, a sergeant, and he was over the um, the like there was a big band, and then there was the little little um, I don't know what you call it, the, little, the smaller band that played for the chorus when they would go like on stage and stuff, and he was like over that that part of the band, and he and Kimmy were very very good friends. And so he um, he and I actually kept in contact because he wrote a song at Kim's memorial service in Germany, and we stayed in contact all that time. And I was always asking him questions, but he couldn't quite tell me the true answers until he got out. And then that was, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. That was like last November. Let's see, was it last November? Maybe maybe I've talked. Was he included in the first one? I don't remember. I don't think so. That may, okay. that, that sounds I'm, new. I'm I'm losing my train of thought because it was I think it was a it was a year ago this past November so I think we we talked two whenever you started it so two years ago or was it a year uh, ago just just uh I started in June of 2014 so just just about a year ago he told me as much as he could because he was outside of the chorus but he did tell me that he felt like a lot of things that happened to Kim um, were basically like in the civilian world would have been criminally negligent um for the one thing that he was upset about was that he as her friend was not told okay it to remind you or to hook on to the first show she attempted to take her life on september 6 2011 and she succeeded three weeks later and after the first attempt a lot of there's a lot that's where a lot of my questions are is like what happened why wasn't i called um and things like that so i still don't know why i was why i wasn't called they i have written all these people and asked anybody i can think of and i've never gotten a straight answer except that unless they were on the brink of death um which leads into part of what my mission is about which i'll get into in a minute but he was mad that no like her close friends the ones that could have been a support system to her were not told. Yet at the same time, what I have found out from him and then a second person came forward the following March. So what, six, six to eight months later, a second one came forward and told me we sat, um, we met at Kim's grave. We talked, she talked for three hours and I recorded everything. And I'll, I'll get to Michael in a second. He was the first one. Um, well, let me go ahead and talk about him. I told you I'll go over the place. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Michael, he kind of answered my questions along the way, but he didn't have as many specifics as the second one did, although he did answer a lot of questions, but he had a lot of his own. But he did want, he did tell me that the leadership was toxic, not just in, uh, the banding corps been in all of Germany. Now Kim reported to the commanding general of the American forces in Europe. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, wait, Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling. He was Kim's direct commander, and he's like over all the forces. So apparently the whole level of toxicity was not just in the banding corps, but throughout Europe at that time. And he said that the toxic level in the chorus was horrible. It was worse than a fraternity and a sorority. He told me that when Kim got there, she was on cloud nine, of course, and I knew that when she made the chorus. But when she got there, and I, 
I'm going to say this up front. I am not racist, but I'm going to be telling you exactly what he told me. And he is a married black male. And I only state that because of what I have to say. Um, Kim was told by her vocal coach, um, another girl in the chorus, another girl in the chorus, and another girl in the chorus. All four of them were black. Um, Her immediate chain of command was a Hispanic female. All five of them harassed Kim. There was jealousy involved. He told me, and he had been there probably for, what, six years, I think. He told me that Kim was by far one of the best vocalists they ever had, by far the best female dancer they ever had, and that there was total 100% professional jealousy. And when she got there, she was told that she could not mingle with members of the band because, and this is a direct quote, they are like a pack of wolves and just want to have sex with you. Yet the very five people that I just talked about who told her this and told only her this, she was a white female, they all did it. They all went and and, and mingled with the band. And whenever she was, and Michael was, like I said, one of her best friends, um, she would get so caught up in tension and stuff that after after work they would go write songs together just to relax but they would get in trouble for it so yet these girls would do it. it i mean it was just like they had written certain rules just for kim um now if i because i get all passionate about this and then i like lose my train of thought the girl that was her immediate chain of command was a hispanic girl she is the one that I thought all along was the girl that bullied Kim. Actually, I knew all along she was the girl that bullied Kim. I also found out that her vocal coach was a severe bullier. Um, Kim got in trouble. In fact, she, <laughs> I have to chuckle. She, I, found, I listened to all her things when she came home, and she had this tape of a recording of her vocal session with her vocal coach, who is one of the bulliers. And the title of it was called Wolf Sneak, W-O-L-F-E, Sneak. I didn't understand what that meant at all, so I never really listened to it. I just I kind of listened to it. It was like, oh, it's Kim in a vocal session. Didn't listen to it until after I talked to these two witnesses, and then it made sense. Wolf Sneak. She went in and she secretly recorded herself in um, in a vocal session where she was getting um, in trouble. I don't know how you say it in the military. She was getting in trouble for actually learning a song by listening to it. I swear to God. She was huh. learning a song by listening to it instead of how this vocal coach performed it. Kim had dyslexia. She couldn't read music. She couldn't read. And, and and some of these people know, although they kept saying, we never knew. We never knew. I know Kim told people because she told them since day one, when she began singing, since she was six, she put on a pair of headphones. And when she would listen to them on the headphones, she would be pitch perfect. Well, she wasn't allowed to listen on the headphones. And she had tinnitus from the bomb. So she would sing off key. And she would get bullied for it. So do you see where this vicious circle is going? 
So in this, um, when she recorded this, this, her chain of her vocal coach, who was horrible, just got on Kim for, like I said, for listening to it and learning the song. So um, then we go to the Hispanic female who was her bully. She's the one that she actually came to me. She was, she ended up being based at Fort Hood. She left the chorus when her time was up and she went to Fort Hood. Well, when her husband was out, got out, they were moving to Colorado and she wanted to meet with me. And I was like, really? You know, so she wrote to me and we met and I went in there with, you know, an open mind because she's like, I know you hate me and all this. And I was thinking, well, yeah, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, we met and I was very cordial. It was a very emotional three hours and she answered all my questions. And, um, what she said happened, she knew more about the, the very end than the first guy did. The first guy, Michael, he told me more about the toxicity of the leadership, which I knew, but he, he, um, validated it. And so this girl told me everything that happened. So it was like, she, um, Kim had had a, like, sort of a bad, not a bad, just something, I, something said about her singing on September 6th. And I think I talked about this in the first one. I'm not sure. Um, and so she went into her room. She she said she didn't, at the time, she said she didn't even, she wasn't really even upset until she got to her room. And then she, I guess it must have just been impulsive, which suicide can be just totally impulsive and I guess she just lost it she um, drank a bottle of wine took some pills cut her wrists and then she texted somebody and said I really screwed up so then and of course the only way I learned about it was she wrote me on Facebook and said mom remember I'll always love you I I know I said that in the in the other one because that's what alerted me to what's going on and then for the next two and a half weeks, I, there's nothing. I, I know nothing. So what had happened is, first of all, the captain broke HIPAA laws, which Kim had said he did, but he denied it even to my face when I was in Germany that he never told the chorus what she did. When, in fact, he did. He went back and told the chorus what she did and that her diagnosis of depression is why she did it. Um, then um, she came back. And she had asked for a a different room because she didn't really want to go back to the room because they had memories and she wanted to have a new beginning. Well, all the way up till now, I've been told she asked for this certain room and she never asked for this room. This, the captain isolated her on an isolated floor with no roommate. They never had a suicide watch, even though they have told news media that indeed they did. Um, no one ever, no one ever checked up on her when she got out of the hospital. And this is coming from the girl who was, who met up with me and I taped for three hours. Nobody ever checked on her. And um, I'm trying to think, keep my thoughts straight here. Nobody ever checked on you're do, her. You're doing great. Okay. And then um, there was no suicide watch. And then, um, over the next, let's see, she was in the hospital for 11 days. Then there was a four-day weekend. So then she goes back 
on, I think, like, a, I guess, four-day weekend, so it'd be a Tuesday, Wednesday. She goes back to work on a Wednesday. She works Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then the next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on that Friday is September 30th. And um, Kim actually asked this girl, why do you hate me so much? And the girls, and, and I asked, I asked this girl that, I said, what was your reply to her? And this is what got to me. I really had to bite my tongue because this girl goes, I said to her, honey, I don't hate you. Uh-huh. I'm sure she said that in the military. Honey, honey, I don't hate you when she's her chain of command. Honey, I don't hate you. No, 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 I don't think so. So I don't even, she just said, I, I don't, she said that she told him, I don't hate you. I, I try and just be, you know, she just tried to come off as this big leader, this big compassionate. Uh-uh. So um, on that Friday, the sergeant could tell things were like kind of getting heated. And I think that's where I left the last one because that's as far as I knew. Well, over the weekend, on Saturday, somebody saw her at the shop at, on Sunday, nobody saw her. On Monday morning, October 3rd, they had called Kim and told her to wear her civvies. Is that right? Civvies? Is that yeah, sure. right word? I guess. I don't know if that means civilian clothes or their camels. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know lingo. So civvies. So, and so she was actually, so I said, oh, so she was actually, she was alive in the morning. And she said, yes. And so she was scheduled for a doctor's appointment. Well, in the meantime, all of her friends had turned their backs on her except one. Oh, I mean, half of the group was already hazing her anyway. But the couple that were her best friends um, turned their backs on her. And um, anytime Kim would bring up the subject at all about what might possibly be wrong with her, um, they would walk away or change the subject. And... Um, in the sworn statement afterwards, the girl told told the um, inspector general, whoever it was that comes, that she thought that Kim's first suicide attempt was overly dramatic and she felt like she was on the scene of ER. So, you know how. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of that was kind of the way everybody was feeling. I mean, that's that's what she was up against. Like nobody was listening. She was trying to tell people. In fact, she did tell people something's wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. Now, she had been diagnosed with a TBI in May of 2011, but it was never treated. They said they had to treat her insomnia first, which she had had severe insomnia since the bomb and post-concussion syndrome, but it was never treated. I mean, she was taking medicine. I guess the, I've heard that um, the clonopin she was taking was black box, however many years ago, and, I, and so I've started getting into, you know, what medicine was she on because I know about all these um you know, um, combat cocktails and stuff that I don't know what, she, you know, there's so much still that there's, that I don't know. And so on that last day of her life, she was supposed to go to the doctors. Well, the girl that was talking to me said, um, that by lunchtime, they noticed that Kim's truck was still in the parking lot. Well, her former best friend, the one that had turned her back on her, got really pissed off. And said, um, oh, well, you know, the sergeant's been kind of letting her sleep in a little bit. Now, mind you, they had talked to her at 730 that morning. 
the sergeant has been letting her kind of sleep in when she needs to, like if since she's gotten out of the hospital, you know, if she's having kind of a bad morning and stuff. Kim's just taking advantage of the system. That's exactly and so everybody in the whole unit got pissed off because Kim was taking advantage of the system. So they tried to call her, she didn't answer her phone, they were pounding on her door, couldn't answer her phone, didn't answer her phone. And they got somebody to unlock the door. And the same girl that was going around telling everybody that Kim was taking advantage of the system was the one that saw and found Kim. And she fell to the floor. And the girl that was talking to me didn't even enter the room because she was pregnant. She didn't want to see it. So, I mean, if two people are had, had to be cursed with finding him, I think those were the two that needed to, be, to have it done. <clears throat> So, and of course, then everything went haywire. Um, then back to Michael, he said that after everybody found out about it, that um, nobody was allowed to leave the area. They had to bring all these, they had, they had to all have a group meeting. And he said it just exploded. The band in the chorus just exploded. Everybody was fighting, yelling, and screaming. I thought you were supposed to watch her. No, you were supposed to watch her. No, you were supposed to watch her. I mean, no sympathy, no compassion, yeah. just, just, it was just like, you know, like, you forgot to put the meat in the fridge and it spoiled. That, I mean, that's, that's the impression I got. It just, it just made me sick. I learned that, um, one time on a tour that Kim and this supposed best friend who was her best friend at one time, they were goof offs. You know, they had fun, not goofs offs during the job, but when they would travel or, you know, be on their, on their own time, they would be silly. And so Kim took a picture of the other girl on a bus and the girl was being silly and, you know, pretended she was licking the pole that you hold on to when you stand up on a bus. You know, it's just a silly picture. Well, they got, and I knew about the picture way back that they hadn't gotten in trouble for it. But what I didn't know is that the girl that was in the picture didn't get as much trouble as Kim did, who took the picture. And because she took the picture, her sergeant, when they were on, when all the chorus and band were together on a bus heading somewhere, outed her in front of everybody and called her a whore because of the picture she took. Now, mm-hmm. what is that, you know, what's that got to do with that? I mean, and this, 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 my daughter was so, had such a good moral compass. I mean, she never in her, in her life would even be in the same vicinity as someone that would be called that. And when that girl told me that in the car, I lost it. I just lost it because, just because. And so of all, of all the, of all the information that, that you've gotten over the past year, as you uncover the details of uh, of her suicide, what what do you think has surprised you the most? Uh, what surprised me the most was when I looked back when it all first happened. Actually, it was when she came back from Iraq. Um, when I didn't know her, and I had called her commander and told her something, told him something was wrong. I talked to him. The commander at Fort Bending, something is wrong with her. 
From then on, I thought, sure, that the Army would take care of her. That, you know, she was their employee. They were her employer. I mean, wherever I worked, they 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 took care of you. Maybe not, you know, like as far as being the doctor or the nurse, but I mean, they, they would take care of, you know, people take care of their own. And that's what surprised me the most is like, they didn't care. She went, she went from being a combat, she went from being a combat unit to a non-combat unit. And what, I think that's probably what surprised me the most is that, you know, it just kind of has taken a while to get to that point for me to, to, to fish through all this and make sense out of everything. I never thought of it that way, that she went from a combat unit to a non-combat unit. It was also the first unit that she was in that was like all girls. I mean, there was guys in the chorus, but she wasn't allowed to be near them and the band. So it was like she stuck with like these seven, eight, ten girls, whatever. And they had their own separate rules than her. And so it just surprised me so much. It was so much different than, than how you relate to someone out on the battlefield. I mean, she wrote to her girlfriend when she was going through the downward spiral because she basically withdrew from me and the rest of the family. I mean, not on purpose. She was just in that much pain. But she did keep in contact with a girl, and thank God she did from high school because I did learn a lot of information from her, too. And I just don't understand and she didn't understand first of all why were people calling her a whore and a slut why why are people being so mean and and if i was to go to battle with these girls i would be dead because they would not have my six and you know what all the way until the end of her life they didn't have her six nobody did not until she died and boy oh boy did they ever bend over backwards to try and straighten things out by the time I got to Germany for her memorial service. They just, her lieutenant, I don't know if I said it, her, her lieutenant colonel was forced to resign, um, but it was, they had to put in there that it was without cause, even though damn well know it was with cause. Um, the same sergeant that called Kim a whore has now, four years later, been dishonorably discharged. It wasn't for what he said to Kim, but it's for the same type of behavior. So, I mean, I'm looking at at all, like, all these people have been either moved, reassigned, dishonorably discharged, whatever the case might be. And the same girl who talked to me, who was also the bully, um, told me that the vocal coach who came down on Kim is not fit to be in service. And this is coming from somebody who, you know, they were like friends, but she was telling me that this, this lady is like psychotic. She All she thinks about, she's got this great voice, and it's all, everything's about her. And she told me that this lady is not fit to be in service, and she still is in service. So it's like there's nobody left, but they just all, it was so toxic. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing I found out. It was just the toxic leadership, and and that's the first thing that Michael told me about. He was the first witness. Is just so. Toxic, it's, uh, yeah. 
when I get you know, into you're, it, you're, I, when I get into it, I get passionate because I'm so angry. Yeah, well, I I think I'm sure that everybody in the audience completely understands. Uh, so, I mean, and to caveat off that, you clearly uh, there's a lot of frustration involved in this scenario, a lot of uh, disappointment in leadership and how the situation was handled. Uh, it, is there anything that you learned that put you more at peace with what happened? Just the fact that I know what happened. That, I mean, I'm never going to be at peace with, with what happened, except that my, my faith in God is very strong. And it's even gotten stronger. I know some people, when this happens, they turn for a while, you know, maybe against God for a while, and it's purely understandable. My faith just got stronger, and I, I raised her her whole life to, and, and told her that any, in fact, right before she went to the chorus, she wasn't sure if she wanted to go or not. I always told her she at least should try, and if it didn't work out, then there was something else because God had a plan. And of course, sometimes that makes me cry because I kind of, you know, encouraged her, sure, go try it, go try it, and yet that was the end result, and I'm like, I raised her saying that everything's God's plan, yet you don't think that, that that's God's plan. And I don't know. I, I just, I'm more at peace with it because that's how I raised her and that's what I believe, that it's all God's plan. And I'm, I tell people one thing is I'm glad she's in heaven because on the other side of the coin, she doesn't have to come back here and fight another war with the VA. That's another yeah. whole issue. And I don't, I don't know if she would, I don't know how these veterans survive it. I've helped be an advocate for that too, somewhat. And I I just, I just don't. Where, where has all of this put you uh, in? How has this all helped you in your position of empathy and, and uh, communication with other people that, that may be experiencing a similar scenario? Well, um, I used to talk about it a lot on Facebook. Um, I became an advocate, and now I'm an activist. And I give speeches. I do blog talk radio shows. I do your thing. I do any interviews that people want. I'm getting ready to do another PTSD project that just came about. I do anything I can. On Twitter, I have a mission going on, and I call it 22 plus 1. Because one thing I got angry about, and I know you've talked about it on, on some of your other shows, is that number 22 is such a is such a um, random number, but it's a number, it's like the minimum number they can have. Um, my, my Twitter mission is called 22 plus 1. It's for the 22 veterans and the one active duty um, soldiers who um, die from suicide every day. And what I do in my awareness is I try and bring out facts. I try and um, and I do it a lot with picture story and po- poetic journaling. Um, I um, I'm trying to think. I I bring about awareness and then try because I don't have all the information on resources, but I try and direct people as much as I can. I am I'm thrilled to hear from veterans who say they are so happy that I've brought it to the forefront. Um, my mission, if you don't mind me talking about it a little bit, it's called No, absolutely, go ahead. It's called um, 
22 plus 1. That's for the 22, like I said, plus 1. And um, there's a band out there. It's called the um, the Chris Kyle Band. And they've endorsed me on their website. And um, so what I do is it's um, called 22 plus 1 Start the Conversation, where, um, of course, I've always felt that way about speaking about suicide first thing to do is say the word learn how to say the word in fact i've 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 learned that there are schools that you can't say you're not allowed to say the word and my very first speech um was not even the first anniversary hadn't even happened yet i went and spoke to 400 soldiers and commanders at fort sam houston and i started my speech and then i just stopped for a second i said the first thing i'm gonna have you do is when i count to three you're gonna say the word suicide and I counted to three, and they all said it. And I said, that's the first step at reducing stigma is to say the word. And and now it's I've gone one step past that three years later. I've gone one step past that and say, now that we've said the word, let's start a conversation about it. And pledge to, whenever you can, start a conversation about suicide or talking about the word. I go into how you don't commit suicide, you die from it. You're basically dying from depression and sadness that suicide is just the final act. Um, same way as like you have cancer. People say, how did you die? And, or how, not how did you die, but how, how did someone die? And you know, I say cancer, even though the final act may have been an embolism or a heart attack. They still die from cancer or heart disease. Um, when you die from suicide, you die from depression. It's just that final act of suicide. So you, And you can't commit suicide because... Commit brings a criminality aspect to it, and we need much, much more compassion for not only the victims, but especially for the remaining surviving family. And so um, you you can't, like I said, you can't commit suicide. And and um, I just lost track of what I was going to say. Um, oh, because the what's hard on the family is that the the one who dies from suicide, now I challenge everybody out there that ever listens to this, please practice saying that. They die from suicide. They do not commit suicide. You cannot commit a mental, a physical, or a health issue at all. You can't commit it. Um, the victim is also the perpetrator, and that's what's hard. It's like a double whammy. It's like it's not like somebody didn't just die. They also, well, they committed the act, but it's it's a hard thing to distinguish. You can't commit suicide. You're the victim and you're the perpetrator. The best way I can describe it is just say like, say say you have a gun. Say the gun is, is actually, say the gun is depression. Okay, the gun is depression. Your finger might pull the trigger, but it's the thought that pulls the trigger. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that's that's how I kind of like to try and describe it. Um, I really like to get off on that, not get off, but really like to engage in that conversation about not being able to um, commit suicide, that you do um, die from it. I also um, talk about traumatic brain injuries, that it's a it's a physical wound. Um, that it's not a mental illness, it's a physical wound, although it can eventually cause, if it's not uh, treated, it will cause, it can cause uh, mental illness. Um, I also talk about stigma. Um, <clears throat> I wrote a thing that says, every day I stand for those with traumatic brain injuries, 
which is a physical wound, mental illness and the differences, depression and or PTSD. My work is in educating the public, military command and Congress, all while trying to remove the stigma, age, rank, social status or race. Suicide does not discriminate. To rid the wartime enigma, we must first get rid of the stigma. Um, my background is physical and health education, and that includes mental health. So I really have been like almost turned on just trying to find out as much information I can just to get it out to the public. And I did notice going from Facebook to Twitter was very interesting, which is why I wanted to do it. Because Facebook, I was telling the same thing over and over and over again to the same people, most of them who were Gold Star families already. I went to Twitter because it was a civilian world. And people were blown away at what was happening. And just in the just in the year, it was a year in March that I started this mission. Actually, I just named it a couple of months ago. But I started the awareness mission a year ago. And I don't know if it, I don't go. I'm not this big person on numbers, but I, I'm I'm proud to say I've got about 5,400 followers, and I've had over 23,000 tweets, and it's mostly just on PTSD and suicide. And it's just what I do. Um, I feel like education empowers. It's the biggest thing. Um, since I last spoke with you, I went, I think, or maybe I had, but I went to the Pentagon. I don't know if I said that on the last show. Yeah, I think uh, I think I remember you mentioning that. Did I? Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, I'm trying so- to I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that are that, that are interested and and maybe this is something they want to be able to uh to get involved with. Uh how about you tell the listeners that you know if this is a campaign that they want to participate in how they can support you? Um basically I guess just going to Twitter and looking me up. I'm at um my Twitter name is at @bossy b o s s y t x m a r Five five. Um, like I said, mine is mainly awareness. I'm not affiliated really with any organization, although I've met some incredible people and can certainly, um, you know, direct people to the resources. I'm not really the resource person. What I do is I try and bring all the facts, like I've been stating to you, and more. And um, I know that there is. Um, one organization that helps veterans tremendously that's not talked about a lot yet. Um, it it um, deals more with maybe the active duty soldiers and families, which is really kind of my point of interest. Although I, the whole suicide thing in itself, I'm I'm terribly interested in. But it's that 22. That's it's that plus one because. The active duty soldiers are the forgotten ones. They're the hidden suicides, especially when they're on foreign soil. And it goes back to like when I told you when they didn't ever call me. There are so many chances that I took to the Pentagon that they needed to change. Like they need to require them to have power of attorney. We need to have liaisons involved um, because we don't. Who has our who has our children's six over there or our spouses or, or who has our who has their six? No one. The military. And the military can't talk to the medical, and the medical can't talk to the military because of HIPAA laws, even though they're broken, apparently. Um, So there's just changes that need to be made, and all this is just things that I have just gathered, 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 and built upon. 
and and just try and, and produce as much as I can on Twitter and um, really have been felt blessed and validated by a lot of veterans. The only other thing that I'm um, that I well, this isn't really the only other thing, but one of the big things is um, what happens and um, to the surviving families. Um, I've started to talk about the trickle down effect where when someone who dies from suicide in a family, um, there is no, what do you call it? There's no, um, numbers out there to say how many family members die of suicide. Um, that's a big deal. Um, I, I got close to being, I, I got suicidal myself the Christmas of two months after Kim died, I was taken to the hospital in handcuffs um, because I was losing my mind. I've had um, my youngest son wanted to run his truck into a wall. My oldest son was estranged from me for a couple of years because he had no one else to blame. You would not believe the trickle-down effect in a family. And um, if I can clear, I know you're running out of time, but if I could close um, close out with um, something I wrote, yeah, absolutely. Um, if I can get to it really quick <laughs> or find it. Um, sorry. I thought, oh, I, thought I had it um, here. But it kind of it kind of um, states what I'm talking about with this whole deal. Let me get to it real quick. Okay. Um, it's really kind of like the trickle-down effect. And, and, and it's a... It's like I said, I do poetic journaling and I named it that I've never been to combat, but I have my own war. Uh, I've never been to war, but I'm living through one of my own. It began the day my combat soldier daughter ended her life alone. Excruciating pain releases as I slowly close my eyes and then see a video streaming death. We never said goodbye. I may not have been there as she traveled on those convoy missions. But the dreaded thought of a soldier's knock was an everyday vision. Amber, ambush after ambush, IEDs and rocket-propelled grenades, 15 months of hell where life-altering events invade. So 6,000 miles away, with her demons always there, I would drop to my knees each day and have her six in prayer. Misdiagnosis and no treatment, she gra- gradually ran out of hope. Who was this active-duty warrior to reach out to as she could barely cope? She fought with battle buddies who watched bombs cause craters. She sang side by side with comrades who without reason became haters. So much misconception at the most vulnerable time of her life. She was left to fend for herself. It was like handing her a knife. Words and heartless actions cut deeper than any shrapnel could. Respect and concern for her was not practiced as it should. What do you think was going through this warrior's mind? Because her training taught her we shall leave no comrade behind. So now she sends blessings from heaven as she can surely see that the demons of war have now taken up residence in me. Wow, thank you for sharing that. So I suffer from PTSD pretty bad since she died. So Yeah. I think that's a, you know, I think that's an aspect of PTSD that uh, we need to start recognizing and um, and realizing is that uh, something that family members and you know and other uh, peers and colleagues and those around us, you know, suffer from in, in those certain events. 
Yeah, I know several families who have had double children die, the soldier and then the the sibling. Wow. So I've heard many stories, and and I try to tell them all if anybody can learn from them. And I made a promise to Kim to keep doing this until my last breath, and if I can just save one, then my mission is complete. I was really eager to get Margie back on the show because – one of the objectives of this show is to remind veterans and their families that these stories matter. And I want to reiterate that with showing that they continue to matter. It's not, not just as simply when we hear about it, we acknowledge it, move on to the next. These are, continu- these are long-lasting stories that impact people's lives. And it's important for us to remember uh, that each one of these that each one of these tragic events are impacting someone's life for the rest of it, and I really appreciated Margie's point about the trickle down effect of suicide. How a suicide is then immediately going to negatively affect the family and friends directly around that individual and create emotional and mental problems for for them as well and then now they have to struggle with it and i think that as we attempt to be sympathetic towards a family for their loss that we also need to show concern for their care as well so something to definitely remember uh when you know when when you are maybe maybe faced with this inside of your own community OneTooManyProject.com is the website where you can go to listen to all of the episodes. There's also some information there about the project. Uh, I will be launching a uh, a book soon, or at least I'll be launching the idea for a book soon uh, that I that I have partially written already. So um, you can stay tuned for that. At the website at the very top, you'll see a note saying if you want updates and information, other ways to be involved, sign up for a newsletter. Simply click on that uh, that little orange newsletter button and sign up to get uh, to get updates on the project. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me that you decided to take time out of your day to listen to my my thoughts on suicide and listen to our guests talk about their experiences. Have a great week. I'll be back tomorrow with my momentary reflections. <laughs>